0: Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned, and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained.
1: When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd.
0: This show is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. One of the most valuable lessons that I have ever learned has come from becoming a parent. A child's most basic needs is to feel a sense of belonging and significance. When I learned this and reflected on my own life, it reshaped the story I held onto about my childhood, and I came to the realization that we as adults still have that basic need to feel a sense of belonging and significance. I also soon realized the most important, powerful, and sustainable way to attain that sense of belonging is to create that within ourselves. And you know I'm a big fan of radical personal responsibility, so as adults we must cultivate our relationship with ourselves and create our own sense of belonging from the inside. This concept has inspired me to construct the Belonging Blueprint, a personal development course that is available to you now. In this course, you will learn to navigate your life with the confidence you could only dream about in the past. I'll give you the tools you need to create your own belonging blueprint that will guide you to more ease and flow in your life. You can join me and others in a private community that supports your constant growth and sense of belonging because together we rise. To get more information and enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Paul Clifton, my friend, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to getting into whatever we get into.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. You know, we've had quite a few different conversations around mental health, and you've shared with me a few things uh, around your personal journey, and I've uh, definitely been excited to have you on, as I think you got a, a unique story and a lot of value to add. Yeah, for So sure. why don't you... Start with just uh, introducing yourself a little bit so the audience that may not know you can uh, familiarize themselves with you a little bit.
1: Sure. So my name is Paul Clifton. Um, I am an artist. Um, I also have a pretty busy day job. Um, I trained as a powerlifter for probably 15 years um, and most recently have switched back to competing in strongman, which I had been away from since I started training as a power lifter. So it just a, a little bit of back and forth as far as like the strength programs go. Um, but other than that, that's in a nutshell, sort of who I am.
0: Right. And obviously, I mean, some of the lifting stuff has brought us together and we have some mutual friends and stuff like that. And, um, as far as like your, your mental health journey, um, Mm -hmm. let's get into that a little bit. Where, where do you think you want to start? What does that, what does that look like for you?
1: So I think, I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a bit because of us talking about doing this and, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I I feel like I went through a lot of my life where I was just, like, sort of accepting being, like, unhappy and uh, accepting being a depressed person um, and sort of just, like, uh, understanding that's who I was. Like, at no point, really, through most of my life did I ever think about changing or that there was an alternative Right, so <clears throat> you know, I think I don't even know what triggered it at one point, I had a really a lot of really good things happen, um and I was still extremely unhappy, and that's sort of what was maybe the catalyst in me starting to sort of look at myself and find ways to not be. Uh, that way and not to, and, and to not accept just like, that's who I was, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. I, that's, uh, I think that can be a very real catalyst for a lot of people, uh, similar to me, you know, just like having something really cool happen and you're still kind of in pain and suffering and you're like, why can't I appreciate this and step into this better? Like what, Yeah. what is my block? Something is going on.
1: Yeah, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me, man. And I remember, it was probably—I think it's by now—it was probably like four years ago when it mm-hmm. when it all kind of came to a head. Like I had just finished my first public mural. Um, I had just released a clothing line. I had a good job. I was single. And I was just, like, still miserable. And I'm like, if I can't do all these great things, in my eyes, great things, um, like, I'm, something's wrong. And I immediately started, like, looking into therapists and, like, trying to find ways to, to change how I was feeling. I mean, I'd been on, you know, like, I would say five years before that, I was in a 16-year relationship and at some point like you know this stuff came came up cuz i was always again being feeling depressed having issues um they put me on my doctor put me on wellbutrin and i never talked to anyone they just like gave me a pill and were like here this should help and like obviously it didn't so right. <laughs> i took i did the wellbutrin for like a year and then like i weaned myself off of it because at the core, I was still missing something, even with happy pills, like there was still something wrong, and again, it took me another probably four or five years to start to look at myself in the way that that I did so right
0: so what did you do when you when you started to have that realization uh you mentioned that you you started to seek some therapy so what what about that process would that look like um I assume I uh, obviously, well, I mean, I know that you found therapy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, run on that for a minute.
1: So I think for me, I think with a lot of people, like I went to YouTube first, mm-hmm. So like you, you want directions on how to do anything, go to YouTube. Right. Mm-hmm. So I actually found, I'm going to forget his name now, but there was a guy on YouTube that I would, I started listening to like religiously and it was all about self actualization and sort of like understanding your ego. And like, there was a deep philosophical background behind it too. And I thought all that was very interesting. Um, and then I think actually one of his videos, he might've been like pointing out ways to, find a therapist or a life coach or something like that. So I just went to Google and searched my area, and I saw one therapist, and she was falling asleep while I was talking to her. So I figured that wouldn't be a good fit.
0: (laughs) Wow. And then
1: then I I happened to come across um, my current therapist that I've had for the last... I think three years, four years, something like that. Um, And it was just like a perfect fit, you know, from our first conversation and sort of her introduction to the way she approached everything just seemed to really fit like what I was looking for. And it just sort of hit the right notes for me uh, in in where my problems were and all that kind of stuff.
0: So you find this right fit therapist for you. Yeah. And you start having conversations. What is, what was the nature of those conversations? What did the the tone and content and what did that look like?
1: Sure. So I think in general, you know, you start with a basic overview of, um, you know, your life and interactions with your family members and, <clears throat> you know, growing up and all of that kind of stuff. So I feel like it was pretty standard as far as As the introduction to everything goes, she was very heavy into um, attachment styles and like basing relationships on understanding your attachment style. Um, And also, we would deep deep dive into like other things uh, from my past that that could cause um, these like cause me to have these core wounds that you know, end up being, like, really hard to heal and end up being the cause of a lot of, of the depression and sadness and, you know, negative self-talk that I would carry through most of my life. So <clears throat> I think for me, the attachment style stuff was super important because relationships, um, rem- especially romantic relationships, have always been very important to me. Um I'm a re- a relationship person. Like I said I was in a 16-year relationship. Prior to that, I think I was in like a a year relationship. So I've always like sort of trended towards um uh, finding happiness in those areas and um just wanting to be in that safe space with someone, you know.
0: Right? So when you're having conversations of like the attachment therapy stuff, yeah. Um, what does that generally speaking look like? I'm, I'm not familiar with, with that.
1: So there's like two generic sort of classifications. There's, um, an anxious person and an avoidant person. So, and then like, I should say three. And then there's, um, like a confident, normal person. (laughs) I tend to swing back and forth. So um, it's been a while since I've thought about the descriptions and definitions of the the two of them. But in a nutshell, avoidant folks, like if you're in some kind of conflict with your partner, the avoidant person will wanna run away. And the avoidant person would want a lot of space, would want a lot of time to themselves, um, generally because, I mean, all these kind of stem from insecurities, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if somebody's giving you too much love, you feel like you don't deserve it, and you want to push away from it. That's generally, like, an avoidant kind of reaction. Um, And the other side of that, the anxious, is uh, someone that wants to be close, needs to be close, like, any little thing causes them to sort of be triggered and anxious um, about, like, losing their relationship uh, and all that sort of, like, anxiety of being alone and, like, all those kind of things. And, a brief, generic, very generic overview.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can... I can relate to that. I can, especially the anxious part. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would, um, uh, before like me going on my healing journey relationships, I was definitely very needy, neurotic, yeah. clingy, and, yeah. and anxious about the idea of it, of losing it and it ending. And that definitely did not, uh, create an environment for a, a good, con- healthy relationship. Yeah. And so it it's, It's interesting to kind of like look back and assess past relationships compared Mm -hmm. to where it is now and how, you know, like in the past, I always blamed it on the relationship or especially the other person denying my own responsibility. And now I realize like, I mean, that was the, there was a lot more of me uh, contributing to that than I wanted to admit at those times.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's funny too. I feel like I definitely agree. Like, reassessing past relationships is insane once you have this sort of theory in your head. And then also is like looking at your parents' relationship, looking at your grandparents' relationship and how you can kind of like diagnose where they all fit into this. Because obviously (laughs) like some of the shit they did was wrong to each other or Mm -hmm. to us at some point or else we wouldn't all need this much therapy and all this shit, so. Right, Right. (laughs) Uh, But it's just funny to, like, sort of categorize and understand those other relationships, and I think in the the long run, it, like, helps you understand yourself more, you know, because a lot of the things that I blame myself for, like, growing up and issues that, that I still currently deal with, I, you know, it was always, like, just negative self-talk about me but like understanding where those things came from makes it so much easier to sort of correct all those like correct all the negative self-talk correct like where your attention is going as far as like understanding and not blaming yourself or others you know like I feel like it's super easy to be like well you know my grandparents fought like crazy, and they were super shitty together, and, like, that wasn't an, an environment that made me feel safe, but then, like, that explains maybe why I have some anxiety, or I have some avoidant tendencies, because, like, that, and it's, I feel like it's easier to, to forgive those people, and sort of, like, make sense of it all, and not just blame yourself. Because I feel like by default, especially for me, it's like always my fault. I'm always the issue. I'm never good enough. I'm, you know, those kind of like the normal negatives. I mean, I don't know if it's normal, but like the list of <laughs> negative self-talk things that, that tend to come up.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can relate to that. I can relate to that for sure. Um, especially some of the negative self-talk that definitely would. Uh, run rampant a lot of times in in my past, um, not being good enough. And it's interesting as I kind of have dissected some of that too, like in the idea of almost blaming old partners and, and relationships and people that were in them and blaming them and like using the scapegoat of me not being good enough, like just allowed that to just spiral into a mess of, denial of my own responsibility and yeah. how I was showing up. Yeah. But you mentioned I mean, like the idea too of a, a lot of things that events that kind of uh, are a, a bit of a creation and those events as are in our childhood kind of create who we are and a bit of what we become. And a lot of times we're almost completely unaware of, of how much those things impact and control us even now to this day as an adult. Yeah. What, what was your childhood like?
1: So I think for the, for the most part, it was good. Like I had a bit of a bout with, uh, sexual abuse, um, which was something that was like, I don't know for me, it's still like, I still try to downplay it. I feel like, you know, um, and I don't know. I don't know what the psychology is behind that entirely, um, but I had I have had this uh, interaction that I feel like changed who I was as a kid. You know, I mean, it happened when I was, I think it was like thirteen, somewhere around yeah. there, twelve or thirteen. And like, I didn't feel safe telling anyone about it, which is also like a good indicator of maybe how my life was growing up, you know, like if I didn't feel like I had a safe space to share something like that, um, you know, like I said, like you're a kid, you don't know any better, everything seems fine, um, But looking back and seeing sort of the trauma that that caused, um, I, I can't like identify it as a shift in who I was as a child, like during those times, but I know as I progressed into my teenage years, things got harder. Like as far as, um, again, not feeling good enough, not feeling like my friends really liked me, um. I don't think I ever really did things above and beyond to sort of like compensate for that. You know, like I just tried to be good friends to all my friends, but I remember feeling left out a lot and like, and like my friends just didn't generally like me. And I'm imagining that that had a lot to do with the pain that I was covering from that sexual assault Um, I think also my relationship with my dad, maybe complicated things also. Um, I think he struggled as a parent because his, you know, I feel like from this, this kind of generation, right. I'm 43, you know, my, my dad's 71 now. So like, Mm -hmm. I feel like parents were a lot different when they were younger, um, and, like, my dad's description of my, my grandfather would be, he came home from work and he beat us all and yelled at us. And, like, that was it. <laughs> like, okay, cool. So, I think my dad struggled a lot with knowing how to be a father. Um, right. But I think for, for for him and I, I think we struggled a lot because he didn't understand me also as a person. Um. I was like a very sensitive kid. So I think I think there was some worry or question about my sexuality when I was younger. Uh because I was more of a sensitive kid and like I was skinny. I didn't I couldn't play sports because I was like so small. Right and like <clears throat> I just didn't like the things that he did. So like, I feel like I was, there was always like a question, you know, like my cousins used to make up that my cousins used to make fun of me. Um, because again, being a, a more sensitive kid, um, they would call me derogatory homosexual names,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I don't want to repeat. Uh, and even to a point, my sister, would jokingly say things like um like derogatory towards my sexuality. Um so I think that that stuff all kind of hit a little bit harder because of the sexual abuse also. Right. Um yeah. And that I mean that like definitely complicates things a bit. Um when you're internally dealing with something like that. So it's funny because I feel like I always had a lot of support from my friends. And I've, I've, I have a lot of support from my family too. Um, but I feel like during those times it was really hard to see any of that. Um, and I think, <clears throat> I think I was probably in 11th grade-ish. And I don't remember what the catalyst for it was, but it was just like, I would struggle so bad. Like my, I would work on the weekends um, and my friends would go out and party and I would like not be able to go. And like Monday morning would just be like, oh man, we had such a good time. And I would just be like, cool. Like I worked and like, that's that feeling left out and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, again, I digress. Like around, I think it was around 11th grade, 10th or 11th grade, I had like serious thoughts of killing myself um, because of a lot of the de- the depression and the struggle with my own identity and the anxiety I had around my friends um, and just like, I mean, everything in general, right? So I remember, I remember like everything except for like what made me so upset, you know, I put my, I had a a belt, I put the one end through the buckle, put it around my neck and then like tied it to the top of my closet and just like started to lean forward and thinking like, I mean, I don't know if that would have worked. But I just remember like I was just like so emotional and for whatever reason, I was just like I was imagining my parents like at my funeral and how hurt they would be and how much that would probably destroy my family. And then like I never even came close to like those kind of thoughts ever again. Like I untied everything. I unhooked everything. Um, and I just like, I made that decision at that point to like, like, this is the pain I'm going to carry and this is not the way out, but I also didn't know how to fix any of it. And I didn't feel safe enough again to say anything to anyone. And then I just like packaged it up and put it inside somewhere and like, you know, it may be later useful became super useful in powerlifting and stuff. But, (laughs) um, but that was it, man. That was like the turning point for me as far as like having those thoughts. Because before that, like, you know, I was struggling with such bad depression and not telling anyone about it. And it was just like festering and, you know, the bit with, the sexual interaction, the sexual abuse, and, like, all that stuff, it just, you know, it just, it's a perfect recipe to cause a lot of wounds and, like, not knowing how to manage that and not having a safe space to sort of talk about it, you know, ends up just, like, not never getting forgot, obviously, but just getting pushed down to, like, hopefully be discovered and healed in a future time. Yeah. I don't know if that was kind of all over the place, but no, I know it's a lot.
0: <laughs> well, I i mean, first, first of all, I, I appreciate your vulnerability and I'm really grateful that you came to that realization and stopped doing any further harm to yourself.
1: Yeah. Same. Um,
0: <laughs> I I can, I can very much relate to that. Um, you know, when I had my suicide attempt at a young age, it was very, very similar reasons stopped me from continuing any further irreversible harm to myself. Um, and it was kind of like the one and only time, you know, I had like, I had those thoughts going into that day, but then when I did and like had that moment, It didn't come back. Like, I didn't think about suicide after that. Um,
1: I mean, I think it was. Sorry. Go ahead. ahead. I think for me, it was almost like it was some degree of relief to be like at the brink and have it be another reason, have it be a reason other than my own to sort of not do it. You know, if I, if I just like, whatever it was that, that popped that awareness in my head to be like, listen, like you're going to fucking destroy everything. Your parents, your sister, your grandparents, like, and I don't know how I had that, the sort of awareness around that. Like, cause that stuff does, I mean, that destroys families, man. And, like, <clears throat> I just couldn't be responsible for it. And, it, like I said, it was almost like a relief to be able to to put it to bed with a reason other than my own. Because right. it was, like, it was more about them at that point. It was more about the pain I would have inflicted on them if I would have done something like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, and I think in a, in a moment like that, whatever gets somebody away from that moment, like that's good, whether it be something for and of themselves, but it's probably not going to be because of where they're at. It's likely yeah. going to be something else. And fortunately you had something else to look forward to and look at. Um, but yeah, there's but I mean, definitely a lot to unpack there. Yeah. and Think about like you, you mentioned like your cousins and people like picking on you and kind of bullying you and and calling you names and like that creating who knows what kind of doubt and and self insecurities and things like that inside your head. And then you go through uh, a sexual abuse event Um you already don't feel safe in your environment because of the teasing and bullying. And then you especially don't feel safe in your environment when you have something to talk about or something you need to talk about. And if you look at the definition of a traumatic event, it's really just an event that occurs in your life that you are not equipped to process in that moment. And I mean, quite frankly, none of us are equipped at that age to process those kinds of events um he, even before the an outlandish event like a sexual abuse case like the bullying you know uh, none of us at that age are equipped to understand that we are worthy when we're constantly being told we're not by our peers yeah. um and you mentioned you you talked about your relationship with your dad yeah and it not being, it sounds like it's, it, uh, was very, um, I, I supposed, uh, lack of emotional support.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Like, <clears throat> I, you know, like my dad and I never really had a, a relationship until I was a little older, you know, like. And, again, I think it was just, like, hard for him to relate and hard for him to know what to do. Um, and, I, like, aside from everything, he's always been super supportive. Uh, you know, we've had amazing times together, you know. It just, like, I think it took us a little bit to get there to sort of figure each other out. Um And there's, there's, there's parts that I still don't understand as a child. Like, so my dad is like, he's a big hunter. Um, He, he used to work out a lot too. Like, you know, he's, he's super intimidating. Like my cousins used to call him, his name's Harry. My cousins used to call him Scary Harry. Cause he would just like come in a room and, like, everybody would be like, oh, shit. And, like...
0: <laughs> what was scary about
1: him? I don't know, man. It was something about, like, the way he looked at people. And, like, I don't... I To this day, I I couldn't... Like, if he got mad, like, all he'd have to do is look at you and he'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? He wasn't, like... I mean, he's, like, six feet tall, like, average-sized dude... But, for whatever reason, man, he would just look at you and you'd be like, "Oh man, this is not good <laughs> um so I think I think it in a lot of ways, we're just so different that it was like hard- always hard for us to sort of connect, and I think when i was when i again like i I don't know. I'm guessing my age, again, probably around 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there. He took me hunting for the first time. It was probably, it was my first season of shotgun hunting, and I think you got to be 16. Um, but he was like, hey, just sit by this tree. I'm going to be, I don't know, like 200 yards around the other side of the ridge and we didn't have like any way to communicate he's like i'll come back for you and i just remember sitting there for like hours i mean as you do like now we go and I'll sit all day for like sun up to sundown but like i didn't i didn't understand that yeah so the the story i started telling myself was that like he drove me out here to leave me in the woods oof and like again that's a reflection i think of all of the issues and where I was mentally during that time. So like I tried to like calm myself down and not think that way. But like, you know how that works out, especially at a young age like that. So I had just like 100% thought I was being abandoned. And I remember like going, finding my way back to the truck because, like this was the first time I was in that woods, like I didn't know where the hell I was. Somehow, I paid attention enough to get back to the road, <clears throat> and I just remember getting back to the truck and being like, "Oh shit, maybe he wasn't leaving me." <laughs> um, but like still being freaked out, you know, yeah, and then I remember I probably sat there for honestly like 20 minutes or a half hour and he came back he was like what where are you how come you weren't at your tree still and like i didn't i was just like oh i just i couldn't sit there anymore i just like came back to the truck and like did i never like explained what happened so like a lot of those things i think like that happened that had nothing to do with him probably honestly right and th- i mean that was post sexual assault that was post all those other things that I'd, I'd had such a bad image of myself and was dealing with apparently abandonment issues that I didn't know, have any idea what the hell those were at the time. But, like, looking back now, it's, like, pretty clear. Yeah. And, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I think there was, there was weird parts in my relationship with my dad where I was, like, really mad at him for our relationship, but again, like, wasn't taking ownership for my part in our relationship also. Um, so I think it's just like a weird, it was a weird up and down for us. Like, I remember uh, being down at the hunting camp with my mom's cousins and some of our relatives, and I was like, maybe three or four months into my first relationship. And I think I was probably 19 at the time. I was a late bloomer because of all this other shit that was going on for my relationship stuff. Like, I mean, I feel like at certain ages you don't have good self-esteem as it is. And then you add in like things you can't deal with. (laughs) It just makes that worse. Anyway. So I remember him looking at me, my mom's cousin, and being like, you know, you really surprised your father bringing a girl home. And I'm like, what the fuck does that supposed to mean? Like, what? What do you mean? And I think that, you know, like, he was like, well, you know. And again, that sort of, like, at least in my mind, kind of solidifies the thinking and the questioning of my sexuality and that kind of stuff. So I think that was another, I think that might have contributed to, um, you know, some, some distance between my dad and I, because again, like just not understanding each other and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I can, I can definitely relate to a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, my dad's been, you know, extremely sacrificial in his entire life to provide for the family. Yeah. But at the same time has also been incredibly emotionally unavailable. You know, when I was bullied and picked on, like it was always, you know, Oh, suck it up. Buttercup boys. Don't cry. Words, sticks and stones may hurt you, but words may never sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt you. Like all, all of that, like invalidating shit. So, I, I never felt safe to talk about anything that was going on in my head cuz I'm just invalidated rather yeah. than you know sometimes I just need a damn hug or something yeah. and <laughs> and not not told I'm wrong and so in in my in my healing journey some of the things that have helped me with with that is realizing that it, it it's not my dad's fault either you yeah. know it it's like that's what was Influenced upon him. And, you know, so, and it's not my grandpa's fault. He, that was influenced upon him. And I just look at where a lot of things are nowadays as far as like this whole ecosystem of mental health. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. So we can start breaking some of these generational patterns yep. and create emotional safety and emotional safe space for our friends, for our kids, for a fellow man, for a fellow brother. And like, not Go down that train and and kind of try and undo some of that harm,
1: yeah, I agree a hundred percent, you know it's like I feel like there's something to be said about generational trauma and how it's passed down, and like <clears throat> it has some effect some way down the road, like yeah, constantly,
0: and it's not even intentional either, yeah, I mean one hundred percent like. I mentioned it before in another episode. Like spanking, it was socially acceptable. Spanking is—it's straight up abuse. It's child abuse. There's no other way to label it. That's what it is, yeah. point blank. Anybody that tries to argue that with me, like, let's go. I'll argue that. I'll—I'll yeah. <laughs> I'll show you how wrong you are. Um, but like, I think about that. What what safety does that provide the child? Yeah. If a child is crying or misbehaving and they get spanked beat into submission because they're not behaving or doing exactly what you want them to do. Like you are like ramming them into a hole and putting them down and, and creating a lot of emotional lack of emotional intelligence in them by not supporting them in their intel, in their emotions. Yeah. Um,
1: It's so invalidating too. Like it's just, Yeah,
0: one of my favorite books and influences has been Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Um, Like when I the first time I ever read that, I read it and I'm like, man, this book needs to be in every everybody's hands across the world. It like English language or language in general is trash without the ability to really learn what it means and how to articulate the words in the meaning behind the words. Um, and that's what nonviolent communication does. It's a lot of like learning how to use words that in ways that are not violent, avoiding the "you" statements, avoiding things of that nature where you're placing blame, all kinds of different things. Um, but one of the things he talks about in there is how uh, punishment, literally like punishment of any kind is the ultimate breeder of violence in society and we look at a lot of that parenting stuff like we got punished into submission we got grounded we got put in timeout. we got spanked like all that stuff in our kind of our generation growing up by our by our parents by what is supposed to be our safety yeah our safest space that was there and so yeah it's a lot of shit to unpack with some of that stuff
1: yeah, and it's it's actually funny you should mention the, like, punishment part of it and the grounding because, like, I remember middle school, I pretty much got detention every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, my grades weren't great during middle school, and my parents would just, like, ground me all the time. Like, I'd be grounded for, like, semesters at a time, and I just didn't care. I would still, like... Whatever I was dealing with was, like, not letting me excel at anything. Yeah. So, again, like, the answer for that generation is, like, grounding and, like, all that stuff. When Again, you know, everybody's always doing the best they can. I understand that.
0: Right. Agreed.
1: And it's just, like, there was so much more going on. But that was, it was never even like a, I mean, I don't know if it was a a conversation. I never had any conversations, but maybe it was me not opening up or not, whatever,
0: you know. Yeah. But at that age, I don't, I, I look at it as that at that age, that's not your responsibility. You're not the one that has developed that full consciousness. But part of our societal problem is we do all kinds of things to suppress our consciousness um, so that creates all kinds of, all kinds of problems, but I, I definitely agree that like, you know, uh, it's not, they're doing the best they could, right? Like our parents are doing the best they could. They were doing things that were acceptable at that time. So I think about those things too, and can very easily forgive that stuff, yeah, which sure. helps me let go of that trauma. So I don't hold on to it. And yep. Uh, So it's cool to hear that you have that awareness around it as well.
1: Yeah, I've actually done with my therapist, she does these, they're called family constellations. Um, Mm -hmm. They're pretty complicated. I won't get into the weeds with it. But essentially, you bring a group of people together. um, You select people to identify as people in your family. And then my therapist in this case would like sort of lead discussions through each one of the people to sort of like find the root of the trauma or at least to like sort of give some context behind where the family trauma sort of originated or just at least, I guess the idea that there is that sort of generational trauma. Um, but it's super interesting, man. I can send you some links to some of that stuff too. I feel like I feel like you would find it very interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I like I do like stuff like that and like the cognitive behavioral theory stuff and yeah things of that nature where you're just trying to kind of reframe things and recreate them to uh, it's serve a different purpose.
1: Yeah, it's it's really weird too because. At first, I walked in, and my therapist explained to me how it was going to go. <laughs> and I'm like, "I this is total bullshit. Like, there's no way.
0: Yeah. And then
1: I, I got picked to stand and represent somebody's family member, and I felt fucking everything. And, like, that was all that needed to happen. And, like, I was fully... <laughs> a, I was, like, a true believer past that point. Like... And I know this is kind of vague, it's just like, it's a lot to get into and I feel like our time would be better served elsewhere, but also super interesting.
0: There There is one thing you said uh, that I thought was interesting when you talked about like being punished and being uh, grounded for semesters on end. Like, I think a, a bit about what happened with me and... I was I was in trouble all all the time every fucking day about something Always acting out <laughs> uh, always man always acting out, always trying to get attention yeah. um, I, I didn't realize how angry I was yeah. and I didn't know how to express it and that's kind of how I expressed it. But once I got into seventh grade and I started playing football and running track, man, it was like a light switch. I didn't get in trouble anymore. So I had something that I could go, like football was great. I could go out and smash somebody as hard as I wanted to right in the face and I didn't get in trouble, Yeah, you know? And like I was a little guy and constantly like outperforming people that were plenty bigger than me. Yeah, And I think a lot of it had to do with because I – I didn't know it at the time, but I was channeling a lot of that anger and rage that was just flowing out of me for once. And finally. Yeah. Um, so it, it's to me, interesting how that can flow for different people and how that can change where they go.
1: Yeah. And I think to piggyback off of that a little bit, like, you know, that's sort of what got me. I know I joked about it earlier, but that's, what got me into training and like, yeah, you know, like I started as a strongman competitor. Um, and then when I shifted, I only did one or two strongman competitions and then I went right to powerlifting. And I think when I switched to powerlifting <clears throat> for whatever reason, I could really, really channel it, or uh, channel my, my anger and my rage that I'd been carrying for so long. Like, you know, like through most of my childhood, I I was a skateboarder. I would play basketball, like street ball. I could never do organized sports. I mean, I just like didn't have the confidence for most right. for the most part. Um, I've always been fairly athletic, but like I didn't really find a place to channel that until like much later, you know. Right, and then. You know, it got to a weird point for me in powerlifting because, like, I would use my rage so much to drive a lot of my training programs that, like, at some point, like, it equals out, right? And you can't get that mad all the time. (laughs) And then, like, you have, like, a really good day. The last thing you want to do is go to the gym and get super mad at shit because it's just, like, not going to happen. Right. I feel like that even started to bring up questions for me, like, like if I do, I just stop being a powerlifter because I can't be mad all the time. Like, I don't know what the hell to do. Like, and then I guess, <clears throat> you know, obviously, I, I would do my best to recreate that intensity. Um, but it was there was a weird time in that. Like 15 years or so that I was like off and on competing and powerlifting that like I didn't really know what I was doing because I it wasn't I guess it wasn't maybe as therapeutic as it was at one point, and I was maybe a little happier. So <laughs> So right. then I just like kinda of struggled that I would just have like shit workouts because I wasn't being as intense. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And then yeah. I think I started questioning, like, why? why, And, like, does this make me more of a man because I can lift, like, whatever, X amount of weight? Am I doing this for wrong reasons? Like, am I still not happy with myself and that's why I'm doing this? I, st- I need to be bigger because I was the skinny little kid. I need to be stronger because I spent so much of my life not being mentally strong. You know, like, you start questioning everything at some point. And it's it's funny how, like, sports can kind of kind of lead that conversation a little bit, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I just posted about something very similar to that the other day. Um, I had a conversation with Mark Robb, one of the RTS coaches, uh, a while back, and I kind of said something similar to him right like um i feel like lifting weights just allowed me to escape my problems and never deal with them and now that i now that i'm kind of a lot better for myself i almost look at am, am i still just wasting my time he's like oh he's like i don't think so man i think the way to look at it is that your training taught you the discipline necessary needed to apply that discipline in a different area but you needed mm-hmm. something to teach you the discipline first And so that helped me like reconnect with lifting weights in a healthier manner. And now I look at it like I'm kind of struggling with some lifting weights lately uh, due to just some prolonged nagging hip issues. Um, But realizing too, like my, my lifting helped me with my mental health. Then my mental health helped me with my lifting. And then my lifting helped (laughs) me with my mental health. And now my mental (laughs) health is helping me with my lifting. And it's just kind of like this, uh, continual circle of them kind of like benefiting from each other Yeah. in that constant uh, evolution of the process and journey as I like talk about it, like whittling down to the core.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's super and,
1: interesting, man. Yeah. The influence they have on each other. And that, like, to your point, I feel like my lifting now is probably the healthiest that's ever been at least mentally, you know, yeah. like Agreed. I don't need to get mad. I can still get intense. I can still get hyper-focused on what I need to do. I still love picking up a 300-pound H-stone and walking 100 feet with it, like whatever it is. like. But I like it for different reasons now, you know? I like yeah. it because of everything aside from my anger, aside from my pain, aside from... Like all those things, you know, it's just like, I really enjoy it now where before it was like, I just have to do this because like, I'm just hiding so much pain and anger. And now it's like, I don't need to hide anything. And I just enjoy training and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it took me, I don't know, 20 years to figure that out. But like, <laughs> Hey, that's what we're here for. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's a it's a fun evolution too because I as I look at it and thinking similar to having some same uh similar experiences as you like mm-hmm. it I can't lift pissed off anymore. No. Like oh not only do I not <laughs> want to be in that mood but like Because there are times from time to time, right, where something will happen, I'll be a little angry, and I'll think, man, I want to go lift pissed off and just work this rage out. Yeah. And I'll go to go out there, and I'm like, no, that's not what this sanctuary (laughs) has become. And I realize that when I allow that anger to come into my training, I have awful sessions.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because
0: I'm so distracted now by what's on my mind rather than focusing on the training and, and then your is, forms
1: all over the place, and you're just like trying to muscle everything, and it just
0: turns to shit. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's funny. So you've had to overcome a lot in the bit that you've been able to share with us today. Yeah. How How would you summarize where you're where you're at today with with yourself and your self worth and confidence and self love?
1: I mean, I think. <clears throat> I'm definitely, like, miles ahead of where I was before, you know. I think for a lot of these things, like, if you don't do the work, you tend to slip back a little bit. Um, So I think for me, I still am at the point where I need to, like, self-assess and, like, sometimes do some journaling, sometimes... Do some breathing, you know, whatever I need to do to sort of like, <clears throat> to sort of squash some of those voices. Um, but it's far more manageable. <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know that I'll ever be like out of the woods right, with any of this stuff, but also like, I don't think that should be a thing with anything you do in your life. I feel like you should always be learning. You should always be trying to be better. You should always be pushing the needle a little bit in some direction. Like, even if it's, you know, the littlest bit today and a little bit tomorrow, like as long as you're still on that road, you're going to be better than what you were before. Right. And, you know, like I even see myself from like relationship to relationship being totally different. Um, and, and, hopefully being more self-aware and more self-actualized. I mean, even from last year, I feel like I'm a different person to a degree, you know? So I I think I just try to look at it as, you know, more, I don't know, like this is bothering me today this is what i'm going to do to fix it this is what i'm going to do to feel better and then maybe it'll be easier tomorrow because i think i think it's real easy to get like bogged down and some days i still struggle man i feel like i feel like i'm not where i should be i feel like i start shitting all over myself you know i yeah. feel like i I should be in a better position. I should be better mentally. This these things shouldn't bother me. Like but I I just don't I don't know that that's realistic, you know, at all. And it's just like falling into that same trap of like what you're doing isn't good enough, what you've done hasn't made a difference, you're still not good enough. Like so I think <clears throat> trying to keep those things as positive as possible all the time Of course, like it's not that easy all the time, but at least having the awareness around it to like to not let it get to where it could go, I think, right, is a huge deal. So I think, like, sorry,
0: no, no, go for it.
1: So I think, like, in a nutshell, the (laughs) the short answer is, I feel like in my healing journey, I'm doing pretty fucking good.
0: Right, awesome. Compared
1: to where I started,
0: yeah, awesome. I
1: do. I still uh, have a big ass fucking mountain to climb. A hundred percent.
0: Definitely, man. I hear you. I I feel the same. You know, and and a, a couple of things that come to mind. Like I I look at this as like again, it's a it's a journey, not a destination. So yeah. there's always going to be some <clears throat> some stuff to work on. Yeah. And there's all kinds of times where like I'll consume something different. I'll consume a different book or a different thought process or something like that. And like that adds another layer for me of growth and yeah. self-worth and self-love. And it's like that sets me on fire and like I go to the next layer and it, like it just continues to evolve. And uh, a client of mine, a, a powerlifting client of mine had a really good, awesome analogy for his powerlifting that he brought to me. He was, he got into uh, uh formula one racing oh, and okay. he was like, man, watching that. It's just amazing how they'll just make the tiniest little tweaks to take a one, one hundredth of a second off per lap, knowing that that'll add up across the, the race and, and hopefully enough to win. Yeah. So I think about, that analogy as it applies to like a healing journey in our self-care like man we're a race car we're a precision race car that requires constant little tweaks yep. to be as efficient as we can possibly be and sometimes the fucking engine needs to be rebuilt and overhauled <laughs> yeah. you know sometimes
1: you get a flat tire
0: <laughs> you gotta you gotta ch- yep you get a flat tire you gotta oh man i had a really bad day i got a Reframe, refocus, reintentionalize revisualize uh yeah. whatever tools it is that the person uses to uh, get back on the get back on the race course you know yeah, I like get that. back That's... get back on the journey, but there's gonna be things that happen the the flat tire you got to change the oil you gotta tweak yeah. this fender tweak that fender um all kinds of things happen um and so I think about it a lot when. With, a, with like a growth mindset, you know, when, when life happens and it's uh, not necessarily the most desirable event in the world, I continue to try and remind myself to look at it as, what is this opportunity? There, there's, there's an opportunity here for me to learn and grow. Whether, like the event doesn't matter, the circumstance doesn't matter. What matters is how I choose to act, react, respond, and what I want to look at it. And trying to approach life like that has been life changing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So to speak.
1: I think, you know, it's funny. You take so much more ownership of your life in that way. You know? And it's like, it's weird to think at one point in my life, I just like, I'm like, fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Let Jesus take the wheel or whoever. And, like, I, you know, you just, like, aimlessly go through life with, like, no purpose. And, like, you know, you want A, but you don't do anything to get A. And then you end up with B, but still that's okay. And it's just, when you start, like, being more responsible for yourself and your emotions and... Again, like you said, how you react or how you treat things, like, it just makes your world so different.
0: For sure. For like, sure.
1: And, I, you know, I, I probably haven't thought about that enough as to what a difference, you know, that all these things can make in your life as, as a whole when you start making minor adjustments like that and yeah, that's, that's good. I like that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I agree with the responsibility aspect. Um, Something I denied for a long time in my life was my own personal responsibility. And that was part of me perpetuating my own victimhood. Um, and, the more and more I take responsibility and really try and take now like radical personal responsibility in my life, uh, the more elevated my life experiences become. Yeah. Um, You, you still continue therapy to this day, right?
1: Yeah. I don't, I'm not as regular. Like I think for a couple of years I was going like every week, Right, I still have, like, um, kind of an open sort of line of communication to my therapist. But we usually meet, like, once a month now. Right. So it's not as intense. Right. Um, But she has, I think, what has been also very beneficial is she has sent some of her clients my way as, like, almost like mini-groups. Um, to sort of support each other and help each other through any issues we're having. So I think in a way, <clears throat> my therapy has sort of shifted um, to more like clinical instead of like, you know, just her and I talking all the time. And it's, it's, it's been really good for me, honestly, to like be able to apply my experiences and what I've learned and help like people that are kind of just starting their journey. Yeah, um, and I think there's just like so much learning from all of that, and seeing other people's perspectives, and then sharing some perspectives. Um. Yeah, it, I think that's been that's been pretty impactful, also, as part of of my journey with with my therapist.
0: Yeah, no, that's super cool to have that uh, development of that community, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously probably all have a lot of the same language as you're coming from the same therapist and like the same, um, methods of, of healing and stuff. Yeah. No, that's super awesome. And it's cool to hear, honestly, that you, you chose to find therapy and continue to go. I think it's very underappreciated in our world these days, particularly Uh, particularly the stigma around men getting therapy.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be mindful of your time here, Paul, and we've been chatting for a bit. Um, but before we before we wrap up, I'd like to ask and get what each guest's uh, go-to self-care tool is. So what is, what is your go-to self-care tool? Uh, how do you use it? What, do you, what benefits do you find from it? Tell me a little bit about it.
1: I think for me, mostly journaling is probably most beneficial um, mm-hmm. or so for for a long period of time, I had certain chapters in uh, the attachment style book. I had certain chapters sort of like bookmarked that I would go back to and I'm it's been a while since I've had to use them, so that's probably a good thing but that's another thing i'll if I find. I mean, listen, it's as dumb as, like, finding an inspirational quote on Instagram that I think is important and applies to me and just, like, saving it on my phone and reading it a couple times. Like, I think for me it's – I have no problem reusing certain things, Mm -hmm. uh, but also, like, finding – Finding new resources, you know, like you said about consuming books and like having discussions with certain people. I think all that stuff for me is like really good tools. If I have somebody I can confide in, if I, I have like a YouTube therapist that (laughs) a lot of her videos make a lot of sense to me. So like I'll end up listening to those and then journaling and I think the biggest part for me is, like, getting the shit out of my head. Yeah. Like, the sooner I can get the stories out of my head that I'm creating, the better. So, if that's from journaling or reading something that shifts my mind, like, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and, I can I can relate to that.
1: And for me, I'm like, again, I'm, like, kind of a simple person, like, as far as that stuff goes, like, I can reuse... I can reuse things and they'll bring me right back to the understanding that I had before I started feeling a certain way. You know what I mean? It'll bring me back to reality basically. Yeah. So I just need those, those triggers to like bring me back. I also like, I think I've gotten fairly good at like pulling myself out of situations and reassessing my reaction and, kind of understanding why I do the things I do and not in a negative way. And I think that's been super helpful also. But I feel like, I feel like that's like, that's like purple belt kind of stuff, you know? And I feel like if you can master that kind of thing, you're going to be like miles ahead of a lot of people. If you can pull yourself out of reacting and like, and like sort of see yourself in every situation before it goes south. I mean, that's, that's like the goal, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then you can um, change and choose how you want to act or react in a situation rather than just defaulting to a pattern that doesn't really serve you.
1: Yeah. So it does, it's not, the thing that helps me most right now, but like, that's what I'm working towards.
0: Right. You know,
1: like the goal to like, not need much else, just be able to like, internalize, understand, be secure and move on.
0: Yeah, no, I I can definitely, I can relate to that. Um, there's some, I have similar goals in... Reshaping, reframing some of the reactions that don't serve me, and uh, journaling's been a huge go-to self-care tool for me. Uh, very similar reasons, I find uh, help me as well. You know, getting getting the story out of my head, and a lot of times when I write it down, I'm just like, "Oh man, I I have nothing th- to substantiate that that is real." Yeah, stop it, stop <laughs> it, dude. Just. Just stop it. <laughs> yeah. So that that's always beneficial to, to just stop the storytelling and stop making yeah. up the stories. So you, you have a choice. You get to choose how you talk to yourself in those regards.
1: I mean like I have – my brain likes to think it's the best detective in the world. <laughs> and it's going to like find any kind of resources or data to form some kind of story and it's like <laughs> – It's honestly exhausting sometimes, but, like...
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, like,
1: if I step back and look at some of the things my brain puts together, I'm like, damn. Like, can I... I need to, like, write this into a movie or some shit. Like, (laughs) I got Ocean's 13 running in my head. (laughs) Like,
0: (laughs) Right. I'm sure, especially with your ability to be creative and and be an artist. And, like, I've seen some of your work, and it's freaking amazing shit, so that creativity aspect and wiring of you um, serves you a purpose. So you don't want to yeah. just, you don't want to cut the circuitry out. <laughs> and either. I, you know,
1: like my thing is like pay, paying attention to details. And like, I think that comes through in my work in my artwork, <clears throat> but like, I will notice the stupidest shit, but like, that's my job as an artist, you know, like, I don't know, if you see the same thing every day and it moves a half an inch, I'm gonna notice. Like that's just like the artist in me wants to like take photos of everything and remember everything. So to a degree I do that, you know. Right.
0: <clears throat> yeah. No, that's neat. Cool man. Well, I I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate oh, yeah. your stories and your vulnerability. Um I I have no no doubt that somebody out there listening will, will feel compelled and inspired and, and touched by it.
1: I definitely hope so, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I've been looking forward to doing this since you started. And I think, you know, we had conversations early on, and I'm just glad we finally got together and are doing it. Or did it. Yeah.
0: yeah, likewise, likewise, for sure. And maybe uh, we'll find a reason to, to rant on some more stuff here in the future.
1: Hey, man, I'm always down to talk.
0: Cool. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. My sincerest gratitude and appreciation to my friend Paul for sharing his story and being vulnerable and talking about some of the details of his trauma and things that occurred in his life and how he's been able to move forward and overcome those things and and have a better life and and find some happiness within him. Um, I just want to take a moment and recognize that we talked about suicide again in this episode and i really want to let anybody out there know that may be struggling with suicide thoughts suicide ideation anything along those lines please please do reach out for help um the national suicide prevention lifeline is 1-800-273-8255 uh suicide prevention lifeline.org is their website um reach out to somebody, get help. Your life is worth it. Um, if you, if you need, I'm, I'm here, I'm available. Um, my, my door is always open figuratively. So please come on in and we'll connect and talk. Uh, thank you again, Paul. And I wish you all a very good day. Thank you for joining Paul and I on this episode of Project Unchained podcast. We'll see y'all on the next one. A quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist, I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at rost.lepola, and I'm on Facebook, rostlepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gatlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. away